0: Lord Jesus, we thank you for uh, joy, we thank you for peace, we thank you that we can gather together as your people, and that you promised that if two or three were gathered, that you would be in our midst, and so we recognize that you, by your Holy Spirit, you are in our midst now. We honor your presence we pray that our time together of singing songs and praise and worship would have been honoring and exalting. To your name, even as we sang, that there's no other name. There's just something about your name, Lord Lord Jesus. We pray that as we have done that, that, that we, have, we have lifted up prayers and praises that are sweet fragrances to your nostrils. We pray during this time of opening up your word, that you would open up our minds and our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, and that I pray the uh, the spirit of revelation upon each one of us this morning, that we could see what we couldn't see before, and we could understand what we couldn't understand before, and we can embrace the truth of your scripture. I pray that you would allow me to say the words, that you would have me to say, that you would anoint uh, the words of my mouth, that I could speak that which you would purpose for me to speak. More than anything else, let the the living word of God be spoken to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. I pray in the name of Jesus, everybody said, Amen. amen, amen. A few weeks ago... Um, Adam and myself and Douglas Macintosh were at a men's event down in Talladega. I, I drove right by the road that goes to the racetrack and Redneck came all over me. Uh, it was, well, you know, it, uh, you got, don't forget that, don't forget I was born and raised in the Redneck Riviera. Panama City, Florida. Uh, and at that event, of course, it was Ronald Gray had put this on called Reignited. And a, a large portion, actually the largest portion of this men's event is spent in small groups. We break up into small groups, and because of the size of this one, there was all, about 60 of us. Uh, Ronald gro- broke us up into four small groups, and we would... Uh, In theory, it was changed a little bit this year, but in theory we would meet Thursday morning for hour and a half, two hours. We'd have lunch. We'd come back Thursday afternoon, small groups again. And then we'd do the same thing Friday morning and the same thing Friday afternoon. And the intention this time was to go through the letter to the Ephesians, to go to read our way through it and discuss it in these small groups. Well, the first, well, I said something changed because of people couldn't get there because of flights and such. Ronald took the Thursday morning small group and moved it to Wednesday night and then took the Wednesday night large meeting, quote unquote, moved it to Thursday morning. We opened up the book of Ephesians on Wednesday night at our small group and immediately these verses began to to jump out at me. It might have had something to do with I was using my New King James Spirit-filled life Bible, and I have these verses highlighted in that Bible. But I, I resisted the idea, you know, you're, you're a pastor in a group of, old oh, 12 or 13 men. You have to resist uh, preaching on every verse. <laughs> you have to resist. But I began to see some things that, that I wanted to revisit, and so I wanted to revisit some of that today. And I've entitled today, Predestined for Adoption. Predestined for Adoption. I want to say to you today, and I want to say it to you. I, want, I don't want you just to hear theological renderings. That's good. I don't want you just to hear me, to, me quoting the scripture to you. I want you to hear this. He chose you. You're looking around the room and you say, "But I can't believe he chose them." <laughs> I'm, to be honest, you you watch the news and you see people. Well, who knows? That's not the point. The point is he chose you. When I was when I was a, growing up in in the Redneck Riviera, Panhandle of Florida, I, I played a lot of sports. Um, some I was better at than others, but I played, whatever was in season, I was playing it. And speaking of redneck, we'd play football in the middle of the road. A lot of our roads were dirt roads, and uh, they're not now, but they were back then. And so we just get out in the road and get up a game, play football. Believe it or not, I have done that on paved roads, which may explain a lot. But we'd get out, and, of course, you know, we'd be playing football, and we'd get so aggravated when cars would come. <laughs> what do you all think this is? matter of fact, we would tell them, the locale, we'd say, what do you all think this is, Highway 98, which is the main road going through Panama City. But we'd get aggravated that these cars wanted their road. It was a football field. And we'd, you know, I'd play basketball, baseball, whatever. But every time, you'd gather up, guys would gather up out in That's before we let girls play with, you know, we well, anyway, I don't want to get involved in that. We'd get out there and say, okay, you the captain, you the captain, let's choose sides. And everybody'd stand there, and then they'd choose, choose, choose. Of course, obviously, there was always that one who was the last one chosen. You wanted to be chosen. You know, usually I was a captain, so I didn't have to worry about that. But being chosen is a big thing. There's a commercial on the radio, it's the funniest thing in the world, and it's Charles Barkley. And they're playing a game, and Charles Barkley, the kids say, okay, you get to pick first. And they say, we take Charles. And he's all excited. He's jumping up and down. Yeah, I got got picked first. Sorry, kids. You know, he's really dogging the other kids because they hadn't got chosen. If you're familiar with Charles Barkley, that's not a surprise. He's Auburn people, you know. Anyway. (laughs) So choosing is an important thing. God chose you. Sometimes we preachers, and sometimes we communicate that uh, that you know God's sitting around, wringing his hands, hoping we'll have something to do with him. He's nervous whether or not we're going to be be a part of his family, hoping that he can get our attention in some kind of a way, and get us to agree with him and. And, uh, and then when we come and say yes to God, he's turning back flips because man, he didn't know if that was going to happen or not. I mean, that's joking and silly and goofy, but you know good and well that sometimes we get that impression. When it's the exact opposite, he chose us. Now there's hope. Why is there hope? Jesus said in Matthew 18, so it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. None should perish. Peter basically repeated what Jesus said in his second letter. He said, the Lord is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He chose us. And because he chose us, we were marked for adoption. You were marked for adoption. Whether you liked it or not, you were marked. And so because of that, we, his people, we now enjoy, and we'll come back to this, but we now enjoy every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places uh, which means that the blessing of heaven comes to us where we are. Uh, this is, in verse 20 says of chapter 1, uh, he worked in, because of his power, he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. He seated Christ at his right hand in the heavenly places. And then in chapter 2, verse 6, he says he raised him, us up with him, with Christ, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We've been chosen, we've been adopted, and we've been seated with Christ, and we are have access to every spiritual blessing. Let's read some scripture. We're going to look at Ephesians 1. We're, going to, we're not going to cover every verse that I'm going to read, so don't get nervous. Um, but we're going to read the first 14 verses of Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, And again, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. If you would stand while I read. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. and things on earth in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the, to the praise of his glory in him you also when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory? You can be seated. Every spiritual blessing. God did not, it does not withhold anything of a heavenly blessing from you or from me. None. We are heirs to every spiritual blessing or every blessing of the Holy Spirit every blessing of the Holy Spirit Charles Hodge is Presbyterian theologian and he he wrote this these blessings are spiritual not merely because they pertain to the soul but because they are derived from the Holy Spirit whose presence and influence watch this are the great Blessing purchased by Christ. Every blessing of the Holy Spirit we have received from God. Every, every uh, uh, mercy, every grace, everything we have received by the Holy Spirit. He says it's derived from the Holy Spirit whose presence and influence are the great blessing. So we're always looking for, you've heard me say this, but we're always looking for blessings. But I submit to you once again today that the the blessing is God himself, not what he does for us, who he is to us. Now, he does stuff for us. He provides us with things, but the blessing is God. All awake? I know we got a lot of people on vacation, but I didn't think any of y'all were. Come on. which gives us heavenly resources. Every blessing in heavenly places gives us heavenly resources. Here we are, human beings living in the earth, dealing with the nasty now and now, we speak about. And we sang earlier about getting the victory, and I was reminded when we were singing that song, Oftentimes, we're facing circumstances, we're facing difficulties, we're facing challenges, and we want God to remove the difficulty, and we want God to get us out of the out of the difficult situation. We want God to remove the challenges, and that's what we consider victory. God considers victory that you go through the challenge and come out on the other side victorious. Actually, the word overcomers means to go over it, to go over something not to get rid of it. Now, sometimes God does. Sometimes you're in in circumstances, situations, and God will deliver you from that. He will. But you and I both know that many times what he wants to do is get you through it or over it. The heavenly resources is the invisible realm that surrounds us presently. It is Christ's authority and power in the here and now. It's the resources and the accessing of God through the third person of the Godhead and the power and the strength that the Holy Spirit provides for us. And here we are on the earth dealing with all this stuff, and yet we have access to heavenly resources. We're not limited to what we can do here. What we can do here is great, and there's things we do here, but we're not limited to that. We have heavenly resources. Why? Because he chose us, he chose you, so every heavenly blessing is derived by and applied by the spirit of God let's not forget that let's not miss that, and he chose us in Christ, he chose us now whether you whether you embrace a theology that says god uh, um, selected or ele- elected uh, some people before time began to, to be saved and elected some others to not be saved, or whether you have a, a sort of a blend, the, the, the point still remains and the truth still remains that God chose you and all those who come into the kingdom of God, God chose them. Jesus said, No man can come to me except, y'all know what I'm going to say, my Father who's in heaven draws them. God always has the initiative. And when you came to Christ, assuming you did, you came because God drew you to himself And I don't know where and when, but somewhere, and I said this two weeks ago, I think, somewhere in that process of drawing us, he gives us the grace to come to him. He gives us the grace, which is why we can write in the second chapter of this book, by grace we have been saved. Not of works, lest any man should boast. He said he chose us before the foundation of the world. Now, just like Adam was talking about, if you try to process that too much, you'll be just like those computers. You'll have smoke coming out your ears. But the fact remains that the Bible speaks a lot of before the foundation of the world. I'm not going to comment on all these, any of these scriptures, but I want to show you just to scratch the surface. But before the foundation of the world, Jesus—I mean, uh, Matthew writing—said he quotes Psalm 82: "I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world." Come, inherit the kingdom. Jesus is saying, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Jesus praying to the Father in John 17: "You loved me before the foundation." Of the world. Hebrews 4. His works. Were finished. From the foundation. Of the world. Peter. He was foreknown. Before. The foundation of the world. Do you get the impression. That God was busy. Before the foundation of the world. God knows no time. Time was created for us. But, I mean, I just read you a handful. You can, there, you can get your concordance out and you'll find a list that long. That ha- things that happened. And, and, of course, there's another place talked about the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. God and in his infinite wisdom and knowledge set a path for us. John Calvin said, Although we cannot conceive either by argument or reason, how God has elected us before the foundation of the world, yet we know it by his declaring it to us. And experience itself vouches for it sufficiently when we are enlightened in the faith. You say, well, what about everybody else? What about you? What about you? Do you spend enough time In gratitude to God that He chose you. Do you, do you, you know, because if we, if we have the idea that we did God a favor and He was sitting patting His foot and wringing His hands hoping we would, you know, come to Him and make Him complete, well, you're not going to have much gratitude. But if you realize that God in His sovereignty found you, you didn't find Him, He found you, Jesus said you didn't choose me, I chose you. He found you and he drew you. The Father drew you. The Holy Spirit drew you. The grace of God helped you complete that journey and you were saved by grace. If you realize that, that he did not have to choose you. Some people get upset. I'm not a total Calvinist. But some some people get upset with the idea that God would select some who would be, that would go to hell and some would go to heaven. You can get upset if you want to. And I'm not saying, I don't, I don't totally embrace all that either, but I'm going to tell you this. If God wants to, he, he's God and he can do that. It's his business. It's not my business. Hmm. William Barclay, later on, Scottish theologian said here precisely lies the wonder. It would not be so wonderful that man should choose God. The wonder is that God should choose man. Y'all, you do know God was not getting a great bargain when He chose man. God, you know, God was not getting this big, this great deal. In the, you know, He wasn't, and boy, it's like you know, we, I hate to talk about sports because LSU used to have a football team. <clears throat> boy, I can't wait till basketball season gets here. <laughs> Yeah, well, the lifeblood of college athletics, no matter which sports you follow, or if you follow any, the lifeblood of, of college athletics is recruiting. If you can't recruit stellar athletes, it doesn't matter how good of a coach you got. Evidently, it's true that you, even if you've got, well, ever, I'm going to leave that alone. <laughs> <laughs> but in recruiting, you choose an athlete based on their prowess, based on their athletic ability. I hate to break it to you, saints. God didn't choose you because of your prowess. God didn't choose you because what you could bring to the table. He didn't choose you because you have certain abilities that he could see. You know, they didn't have a meeting in heaven and say, Hey, let's look at this one here. What what can he bring to the table? You know, what what can he help us with the bottom line? No, God didn't choose you for any of those reasons. God chose you and he chose me in spite of us. The wonder is that God would choose man. And yet he did, he chose us, and he gave us every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And the scripture says, because of that, we were predestined for adoption as sons. I'll come back to that part. This adoption, this predestination for adoption is an appointed plan and a guaranteed destiny for all the redeemed. Everybody say, I'm redeemed. redeemed. Now say it like you mean it, I'm I'm redeemed. Predestined and guaranteed. Destiny for all the redeemed. An appointed plan. An appointed plan. Now I hope that you still have access to the Bible that we read earlier. So if you would turn back one book. I just want you to see a few verses to Galatians. That would be west. Or left. Or in your tablet, you do this to you get to it if uh, Galatians 4, 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, watch this, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let me hasten to add right here that when you see the Bible talking about being a son or or sonship, in almost every case, that is a non-gender specific term. It's not male. It's sonship in that it's an heir. And so don't, don't read man or woman in there just because it's all of us. But he said that we would cry abba father and that in that culture that's like you and i saying daddy it's a it's a term of endearment a term of intimacy uh, that we would see god as our heavenly father but even more intimate than just our father but our our daddy our close one because why because he's adopted us as sons god sent forth His son, that verse teaches us, Jesus was dispatched on a mission. And that was to go and do the work necessary, as Adam talked about. Do the work necessary so that you and I could find that salvation that brings us into this room today. God's purpose was both to redeem and to adopt not just to rescue us from slavery, which he did, and he still does that, but to make slaves into sons. To move us from a place of servants and slaves to a place of being his sons. Adoption as sons, actually in the, in that text, the, the word there is in the Greek is one word for adoption as sons. And it talks about kinship. It talks about being an heir when we're adopted as sons. To be adopted as sons is to be placed in a position of a son or daughter who now possesses the same rights as the parents' natural children. We have been adopted into the promise. God created Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve fell. Years later, God went and found, guess what he did with Abraham? He chose him. He chose Abraham out of a pagan culture and a pagan nation. And he said, I'm going to promise you this. I'm going to make a covenant with you. And here's the covenant. And this covenant's going to go thousands of generations. And you and I have been, a, and we'll finish up with a verse that will teach us this, but you and I have been adopted into that promise that God made with Abraham. There were no Jews before Abraham. There were no Hebrews. He was the first. And now, because we've been chosen, because we've been adopted into that promise as sons and daughters, because of that, we possess the same rights as the Hebrews, the ones that received the first promise. John Stott teaches us that there's a metaphor here that comes from a Greek-Roman uh, legal device. The Jews did not have this device, but in the Greek-Roman world, uh, a, a wealthy, uh, childless man and woman, I guess, could take uh, into his family a slave youth, a youthful slave, thus by a, a stroke of fortune for this young slave, ceased to be a slave and became a son. And an heir. Most of you know that Adam and Aaron, three years ago, adopted little Jackson, and he's being raised knowing that he's being raised aware of the fact that he he has, is adopted. He still has periodic visits with his natural mother and his sister. But I have said to them, and I've said to other people, I don't know how many times. One of these days, that boy's going to realize that he hit the lottery because he got me as a grandfather. (laughs) I'll just see if y'all was awake. Seriously. (laughs) Because he's been taken from a situation that could have become very precarious, could have become very decadent, and been placed in a home. Where the king of kings is the governor. Where there's righteousness, peace, and joy. Most of the time. They've got four boys, so it can't be all the time. And that's what I think of when I see this. That we're being adopted as sons. By the way, if you've been adopted, I don't know why the stigma is. If someone's adopted you, they chose you. You know, somebody... Adam or somebody, I don't know, said they were their kid, you know, I didn't choose, I didn't choose y'all. I chose him. I would have chosen you, but I didn't get a chance, but I chose this one. God chose you. Do you feel, do you feel special yet? Man, a lot. Help me. Covenant college in, in, uh, Look out, mountain. I know y'all thought the only thing down there was Rock City. I'm going to read this. Uh, It's kind of long, so stay awake. Just as Roman law states that only natural sons could be estranged or disowned from a family, so Jesus, God's natural son, was estranged from him. My God, my God, why have you become estranged from me. In the Greco-Roman world, this very estrangement prompted adoption of a new son. Likewise, Jesus was estranged so that we could be adopted. His ensuing resurrection was not only a show of divine power. When God welcomed Christ back into his family through the resurrection, vindicating Jesus for all that sin that he bore on our behalf, He welcomed us too. You have been buried with him in baptism. You have been raised with him in newness of life. Romans 6, if you're taking notes. We have full assurance that these bonds will never be broken, for Christ has already suffered estrangement from his Father so that we never may. And this is interesting. This parallel, I've told you this recently, I think. This parallels the Roman law that only a, only natural sons could be estranged from a family. A legally adopted son or daughter, though gaining the same status as a natural born son could never be estranged. Can never be disinherited in a Roman world. Do you think that that same idea applies to you and applies to me? Yes. We've been made a part of the community because He's adopted us, sons. You know how do we how do we wind up in this room along with all those who can't be here today? How do we wind up in this room from all walks of life? From all viewpoints, all vantage points. How do we do that except that God has adopted us as sons and daughters and brought us into the community and to be a part of the community? Paul, just a little while later, writes these words, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and you are members of the household of God. You were outside the promise, but you have been brought inside the promise. You were outside the covenant, but now you are in the covenant and the covenant is in you because you have been made fellow citizens and members. Peter worded it this way. Once you were not a people, but now everybody say now you are God's people. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. If you want to do a really good study, do a study on Romans chapter 11. But here's one verse from that. You were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree. And then you were grafted contrary to nature Into a cultivated olive tree. What in the world does that mean? I wish somebody'd tell me. Here's what it means. Of course, he's writing to Gentiles, but it could be anybody outside the faith. But God took us, pagans, unbelievers, unregenerate. What you just, whatever, however much I got to say to make you feel bad, I don't know. Righteousness is filthy rags. all who have sinned, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no not one. Shall I continue? God takes us in those in that condition. And he grafts us in like you would graft into a tree. He grafts us into the promise. To the promise that came through Abraham. And obviously ultimately comes through Jesus Christ. He grafted us. And we're apart. We now, we now are connected to the supply of blessing, heavenly blessing. It says God sent forth the Spirit. It is because of that we are sons that God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. Galatians 4 6 says that because we were, we are His sons, He sent His Holy Spirit into our heart to the praise of his glory and it even says that he made us accepted in the beloved made us accepted into the beloved now because he chose us and because we've been adopted as sons and daughters not gonna spend much time here but I want to just tell you because of that he says in him we have redemption because he chose to adopt us and because he chose to, to, to bring us into the family, we have redemption. Redemption is delivering someone from a situation from which they are powerless to liberate themselves. We were powerless. We had, you and I had no ability to redeem ourselves out of the mess that sin had gotten us into as a people. But God comes along and he chooses us and he adopts us into his family. He he grafts us into the promise. And because of that, we have been redeemed out of the mess solely based on the power and mercy of God. To be redeemed is to be delivered from a penalty that we had no way of paying. He also said because we've been chosen and adopted that we receive forgiveness. Forgiveness. I'm not going to talk a lot about this because Witt talked about it last Sunday. A few weeks ago, Ronald Gray talked about it right here. Do you get the idea of God trying to say something about forgiveness? But today I want us just to major in on this part. God, when he found you, forgave you. He forgave the debt that you owed because you were born in sin. He forgave the debt that you owed because you are a son of Adam. But he also forgives us of our trespasses. Recognize there's a difference? And we were born with a debt. We were born with a faulty bloodline because Adam chose to disobey God. But then we committed our own trespasses. We did all, you know, we, we were sinners. We still are in some ways, but we're getting over to hope. He forgave us. And then it says that He lavished on us His grace. Lavished, poured it out. Just, just soaked you with His grace. And I think it was just last week that I said, as I've said many times before, that to To define God's grace as unmerited favor is incomplete. I wouldn't say it's totally incorrect, but it's an incomplete definition to just say unmerited favor. And the fact is, unmerited favor more resembles mercy than grace. But he lavished on us over and above in a superabundance the grace. What, What did our friend James Ryle do? How did he define grace? more than once he stood right here and told us this definition. He's in heaven now. Grace is the empowering presence of God, enabling you to be who he created you to be and to do what he has called you to do. Empowering presence of God. It's God, move. it's, it's uh, our, is Christian version of the force. May the force be with you. May his grace be with you because his grace is an empowering force, for lack of a better term, the empowering presence of God. That's God's grace. And so you've been chosen, you've been adopted, and because of that, you're part of the community. And so he has redeemed you, he has forgiven you, and he has poured out to you that empowerment that you need, that I need to do what he's called us to do and to to be who he's called us to be. Because we can't do it without His grace. Verse 11 says In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. I'll read that again. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, everybody say all things, according to the counsel of his will. That's us. What do these verses teach us? What lessons do we gain from these verses? Well, among other things, we learn that God is the master and he's in control. God has this Odd notion. He thinks he's God. Now, I started to tell you the worst football joke I've ever heard, but I'm not going to do it. (sighs) Lord, don't let me lose the anointing. So, Charlie Mac Alexander died and went to heaven. Somebody say, "Who is that?" Well, just say Charlie Mack, but he was the football coach at LSU back in the day. Won all kind of bowl games, and of course, he got fired because he couldn't win a national <laughs> championship. That's Baton Rouge. Thirteen bowl games, couldn't win that. Anyway, Charlie died, went to heaven. He's getting a tour of heaven. And they said, well, since you're here, we need a football coach, so let's go look at the football stadium and uh, uh, look around. And so they're looking around, and Charlie looks across on the other side of the stadium. Boy, this is bad. <laughs> Lord help me. He he says, uh, you said you needed a football coach. He said, yeah. He said, well, on, in that press box over there, I see a houndstooth hat. He said, why do you need a football coach if Bear Bryant's here? If The Bear's over there. Now, this is Bear. You to just forgive me before I even say it. He said, oh, that's not the Bear. That's God. He thinks he's the Bear. <laughs> Alabama fans appreciate that more than most, except after yesterday, I don't know. Well, God doesn't think he's the bear. God thinks he's God. God is God. He is the master. He is in control. We have been accepted into the beloved. We've been accepted into his beloved, into his community, into his family. And we've been accepted on the grounds of his character, not our works. We're not, we haven't even been accepted on the grounds of what we bring to the table because we brought nothing to the table. Another lesson we learn from these verses is you were not an afterthought. You were not an afterthought. You weren't, you weren't born as an afterthought. You weren't set on your way as an afterthought and you weren't brought into the kingdom of God as an afterthought. You were brought in because God loved, so loved the world. That's why you're not an afterthought. Don't ever think that you're an afterthought. Another thing I don't have on my list is because you were chosen, because you weren't an afterthought, God has purpose for you. I don't mean, everybody's called to a full-time ministry, worldwide missionary, that all that's great, but God has purpose for you. You're not just sitting over in a corner waiting for Jesus to come back. God is, this is similar to the first one, but God is purposeful and intentional in his purpose. God is intentional towards you. It's it's not, there's no accident, there's no, well, let's just see how it develops. Before the foundation of the world, God had purpose for you. And lastly, God grafted us into the blessing of Abraham grafted us into the blessing. And we walk in that blessing today. Stand with me. I'm going to read you one more verse and then we're going to be dismissed. The last verse in Galatians 3 says, And if you are Christ, everybody who's Christ today, say, that's me. Amen. i say it again. That's me. So if you are Christ." then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. You are the seed of Abraham. Why? Because he chose you and he adopted you as sons and daughters. Maybe we can walk out of here today with our head held high, our, a little high stepping used more than usual, and understand his purpose and destiny for each one of us. Let's pray, Lord Jesus. Make this truth real to us. We realize that so much of this is we have to. We just have to believe and trust you. But make it real, if nothing else. As as John Calvin said, let us let us know by the very experience of our salvation that you chose us, Lord God. And every time we think that we're useless and every time we think that you're, you, you, you don't even think about us, every time we think you've gone off and hidden somewhere, let the words ring in our ears that he chose us, that he chose me, and he adopted me into his family, and into the promise and the covenant of Abraham. And in so doing that we would be equipped with the lavished grace that you've given us, we would be so equipped to be who it is that you designed us to be. And we could do what it is you've called us to do in the empowerment and the strength of your Holy spirit and your grace. Thank you for this time together today. Uh, I pray for each one as we go about our, our week that we would go in the strength and the power of our father. Thank you in the name of Jesus and everybody said. God bless you. You're dismissed. Go out and act like somebody.